From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Hello and welcome into another edition of the Automotive ADHD Podcast. Matt West here, hanging out with you. Going to talk about cars, cars, and maybe some more cars. That's what this show is about. And, uh, you know, my friends are tired of me talking about cars to them. So I figured I'd talk to you about them. Hopefully that's uh, mutually beneficial. But I'm going to be talking today about airless tires. They're getting more serious. And we could see something really soon. Uh, There's the um, new Acura Integra. That just came out i have some strong opinions on it are they right opinions i don't know but they are mine uh and then there is also a um really questionable new law that has been signed in by congress that is going to affect cars really soon in the next couple of years and going to talk about what that is why it matters but before we get into that have you seen that dodge is hiring for a quote Chief Donut Maker. Yes, someone to make donuts and not of the sweet variety, though probably of the better variety, in my opinion. And uh, they're going to be hiring. And this isn't one of those just kind of joke positions that they're hiring for marketing's sake. Oh, just to say something cool on social media. No, this is a yearly position with a $150,000 yearly salary uh, and a Hellcat. They're going to, whoever they hire for this, they're going to give a Hellcat and 150k a year to make donuts with that hellcat would i do donuts and burnouts for 150k a year oh you bet i would i do them for free so um they say and this is what they said quote dodge is looking for an ambassador of never lift who embodies the spirit of the founding dodge brothers by the way uh, never lift uh, is their marketing campaign to sell more v8s which i think is a very very noble cause the world could always use more v8s now they're going to be opening this up with more details and applications coming up in january so it's kind of got a little bit to go but as soon as applications open up mine is going in along with my my, um, extensive portfolio of previous donuts and burnouts. So, yeah, good stuff there. You should apply for it as well. Let's just see what happens. That could be good. Hey, by the way, all things Throttle Warrior, you can check out at ThrottleWarrior.com. You can email me uh, at Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. Ladies, gentlemen, Porsche 944s, let's talk about airless tires. So, Goodyear and Michelin are both working on airless tires, and this has been something that's been, I mean, in the works for decades and decades. People have been trying this airless tire idea probably since there have been tires, Uh, but the designs that are prevalent now have been so for about the past 10 years they've been in development, and uh, they're the sort of tire. Michelin and Goodyear both have a really similar setup. Um, It's, you know, you've got your wheel, and then you've got these rubber spokes, and then the tread around that. So instead of having air, you've got these rubber spokes that bend and compress uh, to simulate that squishiness of, um, you know, an air-filled, a pneumatic tire. And um, it is interesting stuff, but not just because they're airless and, ooh, you can't get a flat. There's so much more dynamically that can go into these airless tires to make them super cool. And uh, a lot of the engineering behind it is going to be really cool and could mean a lot for racing. I mean, there's a there's a strong possibility these airless tires could be prevalent even in motorsports. And it's actually kind of cool because what happens... Um, 
when you have these kind of like rubber spokes uh, coming out of the wheel and then going to the tire, you can precisely define how much stiffness those have, how much flex, how much pressure they take to give. Obviously, a tire needs to have some give, some squishiness to it to help absorb bumps to uh, make the ride compliant. But you don't want it to be too squishy because that's going to affect the responsiveness of the steering, how quickly it reacts to your steering inputs. So... Um, you know, and so there has to be flex, but you don't want too much and you also don't want too little. And uh, anyone with experience in performance driving knows the importance of air pressure um, and how having too much or too little could be a bad thing. And it will affect, of course, the stiffness of the tire, which that's, again, not just in the vertical sense, bouncing over bumps up and down. That's left and right. And that tire needs to flex. That sidewall needs to have some give to it. But it also um, needs to be stiff enough to provide steering response. It's it's a trade-off. It's a balance you have to get. Now, with these airless tires, you can actually get that balance. And you can do it really well um, and really precisely. So, like, you know, engineers might be able to say, we need it to have Exactly this much give with this much weight applied and in this type of car to give it the best handling characteristics. They can really fine tune that stuff. So whereas on a, um, a pneumatic tire, one with air, you can get pretty darn close and that air pressure is going to allow you to adjust those characteristics. But air pressure is kind of a finicky thing. Okay, it's it's subject to temperature. It's subject to external air pressure as well. Um, as the tire gets hot and cold, you know, you have to compensate for that. Um, especially if you're running that tire hard on a racetrack, it's going to get hot. That heat is going to be dissipated into the air inside that tire, and it's going to cause, as it heats up, that air pressure to effectively increase. Obviously, as it gets colder, it's going to decrease. So that can be a good and bad thing. You can change that air pressure. Now, on a airless tire, again, that's that's something you can precisely account for, and that is something that is not subject to temperature changes or atmospheric pressure changes. So that is cool, but that's also kind of a double-edged sword. I'll, I'll get onto that here, um, you know, because that's part of the downside of these airless tires. So, you know, you can precisely tune how they're going to react. You know, you can have a manufacturer work with the tire, uh, you know, you can have a car manufacturer work with the tire uh, company and make a tire specific for that car that exactly reacts this way and it does it all the time because, again, no air, it's a solid thing, um, which is cool. But that also means you don't have flexibility. Like, for instance, in off-roading, when you want to air down those tires, decrease the tire pressure to increase the contact patch of that tire and therefore increase your grip um you don't have that ability with these airless tires it's fixed you it could either be really good where it's at or you know and you're stuck with whatever it's at whether that's good or not uh, another downside by the way to these airless tires is going to be the cost you know they've been in development for years they've been saying they've been coming for years i actually think they are going to come out here they said 2024 again is as soon as uh, these tires could be on the market you know again they've been developing them for a long while the manufacturing processes all of that good stuff um and yeah, we could see this commercially. Yeah, but they're going to be expensive. This is going to be like a premium thing uh, for a long while. And, um, you know, I mean, not that current tires aren't expensive. Like, uh, you know, uh, the last set of tires I bought for my S2K were a couple hundred bucks per tire. Um, you know, and it was like almost 800 bucks. Now, granted, those are sticky track tires, but, you know, still, tires are not cheap as is and these could be really expensive but then again um you know they could be really durable you never have to worry about flat tires you know uh, and stuff like that now another downside i see to this uh, is the open design so you do have those spokes and they kind of fold in on each other and it's completely open it looks really cool and it looks really sci-fi but 
That's a problem if you take the car off-road, in the dirt, in the sand. Maybe you get mud in it. What if you get mud between those spokes, and that mud doesn't compress, and the spokes need to compress suddenly? Well, the mud's not going to compress. It's got water in it. That's non-compressible. So what's going to happen is going to break the spokes. They're going to give first. So if, you know, dirt and mud get into that wheel, you know, this open design, that could be a really big problem. So I see these not being very applicable for off-roading because, again, that's a problem. What if snow gets in there, too? It can really affect the balance of the wheel. I don't know if anyone's mentioned that with these airless tires driving around in the snow and as snow starts building up in the spokes and then keeps it from compressing. What do you do then? That's bad. That means that does mean that your your um, tire characteristics uh, and how much they compress are going to be dictated by how much snow gets packed into there. Um, but again, assuming assuming these tires are used in a perfectly dry context, uh, likely where they're being tested in California, uh, they don't have to worry about that. Though in the real world, the real world has mud, dirt, snow, all of the above. Uh, even on a road car, not even an off-road car, you could totally get yourself in a, a snow bank or in some deep snow, and uh, that would fill that up, and that would be a problem. Um, so, yeah, that's an issue. Um, so they could be damaged that way, too, if those are compressing uh, and not you know, if the tires are compressing and the spokes are breaking because there's stuff between them, that's a problem. They, these could also be heavier, though they haven't really mentioned weight on this. So those are a couple downsides there. Overall, though, I do think it's a really cool technology, especially on a racetrack that you know is consistent and you can design the tires for the car um, and you can design them to have certain characteristics, too, where they... Um, you know, maybe give and have a certain sidewall flex uh, under certain loads. You could have like progressive sidewall flex uh, where on a regular tire, it would just be linear. So uh, that's really cool. From a performance standpoint, that is cool. Is it going to be game changing for the daily driver out there? I don't think so. I don't really think they're all that practical in the real world, you know, where cars actually drive. But hey, that's uh, that's just my two cents. We're going to see where this goes. Uh, yeah. Goodyear says 2024 on the market. We'll see if we can hold them to that. But anyway, I want to talk about some more stuff. I'm going to do that after the break. We're going to talk about the new Acura Integra. It is pretty cool, but I do have some thoughts. That's next. And now for how things work with an engineer. Transmissions. Shift. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttlewarrior. Oh yeah, hear those car sounds? Those were sent in courtesy of Trey Omstead uh, in his 1997 Accord sedan. And he says he's on his second engine. So uh, yeah, good on you, brother. But anyway, those car sounds, those could be yours. Send your car sounds into matt at throttlewarrior.com to get them featured on the show. So uh, one th quick thing before we get into the new Integra. Uh, this week we lost a motorsports legend, Bob Bondurant passed away on the 12th of this month at 88 years old. Uh, he had a fantastic, legendary career in racing, notably in Le Mans, uh, raced for uh, Carroll Shelby in a Shelby Daytona Coupe, which is a fantastic car. It's real. Oh, God, those, they're so beautiful, too. They are better, in my opinion, cooler, at least, than the Ford GT. So, you know. Fight me, on, fight me on that one. Cooler than the GT40. Um, Bondurant also raced in Baja 500 um, uh, at the time, the Baja 500. Uh, and then uh, F1 as well. Uh, and then he famously 
founded the Bondurant Racing School, uh, which has been training racing drivers and all sorts of people since the 60s. Uh, even celebrities, too, like Clint Eastwood learned to drive race cars there. And uh, I mean, Nick Cage, of all people. Yeah, cool stuff. Uh, racing school, tons of great talent has come out of that. Now, Bondurant retired racing in the late 90s at the age of 79, but kept sending it in cars all the way uh, through his 80s, uh, and he will be sorely missed again a motor sports legend my thoughts of course go out to him and his family and of course the whole racing community that has been touched by him so really cool dude definitely uh, a bummer that he passed away but anyway let's uh, let's get into the new integra because it was released this week with tons of fanfare and and you know for reference you know if you're not that familiar with the integra it was a legendary sports coupe made by acura and in japan sold as the honda integra but uh legendary sports coupe front wheel drive but great manual transmission great high revving engine naturally aspirated uh, really nimble light tossable car uh and uh, you know again a legendary car and uh, it hasn't been in production now for like 20 years and uh, Acura just this week announced the new one and they are announcing it in the position of it being their new halo car halo I say in air quotes because the thing is a halo car is supposed to be something ridiculously cool and fun maybe not necessarily the most affordable thing but it's supposed to drive people to the brand like look at the Ford GT the new one you know the really cool uh, Le Mans race car um Turbo V6, outstanding looks, really, really striking car. And not everyone's going to go buy one, but someone says, yeah, that's really cool, you know, or someone aspires to owning that and then walks into a Ford dealer and buys a Mustang instead. That's kind of the point of a Halo cart, to get people to the brand. And Acura recently discontinued the NSX, which is mid-engined, you know, over 600 horsepower, all-wheel drive. It's a supercar, definitely a Halo car. They discontinued it because of, honestly, pretty poor sales. Uh, there was some controversy there with that car really not holding up to the spirit of the original NSX from the 90s. But uh, still, a great car, uh, you know, be, uh, fitting of being called a Halo car for a brand. And then to get rid of that and then say this new Integra is the Halo car. The new Integra, I'm sorry to say, but... It's just a Civic. It's just a, a rebadged Civic, basically. Same platform, little bit of different body panels. You can look at the new Civic that just came out and that. See, the roof lines are the same. It's the same platform, same drivetrain, um, which the Civic's a great car. It, it really is a fantastic car, uh, and so's this Integra. I'm not saying it's going to be a garbage car by any means, but I don't think it really holds up to being called a Halo car. Uh, they are saying it's going to start in the low $30,000 range, and I watched the promotional video they released with this, and it's very, and I mean very targeted at millennials uh, as more of a, you know, less of a performance car and more of a fashion accessory, you know, for social media influencers. Whatever that means. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. Yeah. And in the video, too, the car, by the way, does just as much hard parking as uh, these millennial folks do. I, I'm talking crap on millennials. I am a millennial, but um, I just think this is it's a car targeted towards the social media crowd of people, uh, which I guess there's nothing wrong with that. That's going to get sales. And honestly, that does mean that Acura is trying to get millennials into cool cars because a lot of millennials could honestly uh, not care about interesting cars. All they care is, does it have a big touch screen? And is it, you know, is it a smartphone on wheels? So that's good. They're trying to get millennials into enthusiast cars. Millennials now are kind of moving into the money demographic. They're, you know, uh, getting, you know, good careers now and actually making real money. Money, so it makes sense to market to them. Uh, the good on this car, I will say, it has a manual. It has a manual. And, uh, oh yeah, 
It has a manual. Yeah, that's re- <laughs> that's really good. That's really good, especially for a new car in 2021. It'll be coming out in 2022. Uh, it's going to have a 1.5 liter turbo four, uh, of course, with VTEC. What would a Honda product be without VTEC? I love VTEC. Uh, it's going to have a uh, LSD, limited slip diff, and um, it's going to be a good car. It's going to be a really good car, and it, the, st- the styling is okay. Uh, again, not to me befitting of being called a halo car, but whatever. You know, it's just an expensive Civic. Uh, some of the bad on this car, though, is that it is just an expensive Civic. You could have all those things. The uh, 1.5 liter turbo four, the VTEC, the manual transmission, the same chassis in a new Civic and maybe even an SI version of that new Civic for probably quite a bit less than the uh, Acura um, and without all this sort of hype and stuff of the Acura. Also, can I talk about how big and boaty this car is? Because it's huge. You know, when you think of an Acura Integra, again, nimble, light, sports coupe, you know, really direct steering. And, uh, you know, now this thing's big. It's a four-door. Now, sure, there was a four-door Integra before, but that wasn't the main focus of the Integra. Um, and this car's huge. I mean, it's it's a big car, to have a little engine and be a tossable car. I mean, I'm sure the suspension's good. I'm sure they figured this stuff out. But cars have just gotten, in general, huge uh, in the past decade. Even, quote, small cars have gotten big. Um, now, John Ikeda, the uh, vice president of uh, Acura North America, says, quote, I'm going to quote him here. He says, this new Integra will continue to deliver on the original's unique, aspirational, yet attainable market position with emotional performance and style combined with the versatility and utility sought after by today's buyers. Aside from that being a run on sentence, there's no period in there until the end. Um, uh, OK, I mean, let's break that down, like continue to deliver on the original's unique, aspirational, yet attainable market position. All right. It's cheap. Okay, it's not that cheap, but it is reasonably affordable. Um, Emotional performance and style. Probably a heavy emphasis on the style there. Um, And combined with the versatility and utility sought after by today's buyers. That's just to say that everyone buys four doors now. There is no room in the market for two-door vehicles, even though I think they're cooler. Yes, they're less practical, but ah, they're cooler. Okay, Um, yeah, so it's a four-door. They know that that's going to sell better anyway, which is probably true. Uh, So again, boiling that down, this whole statement is basically saying it's a Civic. Attainable, aspirational, yet attainable. Uh, Emotional performance and style. Uh, Yep, that's a Civic. Uh, Versatility, Civic. Utility, Civic. Cheap, Civic. It's a Civic. So, and also it doesn't have the cool big wing the original one had. I think the wing was cool. Uh, Or one of the other generations of uh, Integra's had. It looks okay. Could could as well just be an accurate, like, TLX or something, though. So, uh, it's not really that unique compared to other uh, Integra's. But again, you know, it's easy to complain about it. I think it's going to be a great car. Uh, and again, what's important is that Acura is trying to get millennial buyers interested in fun cars. Because again, they're really not. Also, you know, sure, this one's not a halo car in my opinion, but that doesn't mean there's not going to be a Type R model. You know, uh, there's been always a history in Hondas and Acuras of making the Type R one, the top trim, the best one you can buy, the most track focused one. Um, and it's reasonable to assume that there is going to be a Type R version. And there's a Type R version of the, you know, the previous, you know, the Civic. So um, one thing, too, that, you know, I, I talked about this a few episodes back, uh, that it would be wise of Honda and or Acura, same company, really, to uh, develop an all-wheel drive system for the new Integra. Uh, to differentiate it, for one, from the Civic, the new 
platform Civic in their lineup um, because, you know, the new Civic is good and the new Integra is good, but they're basically the same car. Um, and it would make sense to make the Halo car. Again, this is supposed to, according to Acura, replace the NSX. And the NSX was all-wheel drive and really fast. So uh, if this is going to replace the NSX, I think they should have developed an all-wheel drive platform. Would that have made it more expensive? Yeah, but if it's too expensive, go buy the Civic. It's a good car. You know, give make this a few thousand dollars, five, six thousand more expensive. And by making it all-wheel drive, you're then competing with Subaru, with the WRX, and especially the STI version, you know, because people are like, oh, no one's going to pay, you know, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 for a uh, sports sedan with a four-cylinder and a turbo. Well, they already do. It's called the WRX STI. Those get expensive. They're fast. They're all-wheel drive. They're four-door sedans, uh, sports sedans, and they're good, and they come with a manual. And, you know, let the Honda part of the brand take the Civic and have the people who want that car. Let the Acura part do a Honda first and make an all-wheel drive Integra. Like, that would, I mean, if I was in the market for a WRX, um, you know, an, an STI, a fast one, uh, I would I would buy the uh, Integra in a heartbeat over that if it was all-wheel drive. And uh, so they could really, you know, Acura really could have taken this as an opportunity to completely, maybe not completely, but to really pull some sales away from Subaru and the WRX, uh, in my opinion. That's just what I think. And it's not like this would be, you know, people like, oh, they would have to develop an all-new all-wheel drive system. Honda doesn't do all-wheel drive. They do in the CRV. They already have an all-wheel drive system hooked up to a front-wheel drive biased you know, uh, four cylinder, uh, you know, it's uh, with a decent amount of power. There's it's not unlikely that they couldn't adapt this system and this platform to work in this new chassis. In my opinion, they already have the drivetrain technology. They just need to put it now in the new Integra. Now, are they going to do that for a type R model? They could. I still think they should. Um, but I do think that's unlikely now at this point, seeing the uh, pre-production one that they just released. So, you know, hey, my verdict, just buy the new Civic. You know, it's going to come out. The new platform Civic's going to be out relatively at the same time. It's literally the same car, less nonsense, and it's cheaper. That There's my two cents. So, hey, there you go. Either way, I think it's, um, it's a really cool car. You know, they're going to be fun to see on the road. I'm just glad there are new Japanese fun sporty cars with manual transmissions you know when you look at it at the end of the day it's still a win so there you go now coming up in the next segment I'm going to talk about something that's maybe less of a win it's some really questionable legislation this is going to change how cars operate and how we buy cars starting in 2026 it's been passed by Congress what is it I'll tell you about it in just a minute every day thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve, turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro, we'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Cars suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash ThrottleWarrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. Oh yeah, and we are rocking it now. Third half 
of the show. Matt West here for the Automotive ADHD Podcast, talking about cars. By the way, I want to thank my Patreon subscribers. I've got three of them on there. That's three more than I expected to have. So I, I want to thank you for that and want to let you know that I'm going to be revamping the Patreon system, some of the tiers there to include more things, more value, more fun stuff. You got to check it out. Stay posted on it. It's going to be good. So anyway, um, Congress has, uh, and uh, here we go, politics again. One of my buddies is giving me crap. Man, you're talking about politics. I thought this was a car show. It is, but these politics are important because, like, we got to know what's going on with stuff. This is the weird stuff that makes cars more expensive. This is the stuff that makes them more complicated and kind of suck more. And as car enthusiasts, we want our cars to be cheaper, less complicated, and suck less. So that's why this is important. Uh, Congress has recently uh, mandated that all cars by 2026 have to include anti-drunk driving technology, whatever that means. And this is part of the um, infrastructure bill that recently passed, though this part of it does need to be signed off on by the president, which could happen tomorrow. Um, uh, don't know if it will, but it could. So, you know, stay posted on that. This could change relatively soon. But I do think there's uh, fundamental problems with how this is put together. Uh, you know, while drunk driving is bad, I do not support drunk driving. I think it is, you know, one of the worst, the most egregious things you can do behind the wheel of a car. Um, I don't think this is the way to go about solving that problem. Uh, so Congress is telling manufacturers that, Cars need to have a system to disable, uh, to automatically disable them if they think a drunk driver is getting into the seat. And uh, they don't want to do this via like a breathalyzer, which, you know, is technology that already exists. You blow on the thing and it, you know, says whether you're drunk or not. Well, um, if they want this to be a passive system, uh, which, again, you know, the the motivation behind this is noble. It is good. But, again, the issues are, are just, uh, you know, constant here. So um, Congress says, well, there's no real technology to do this passively yet, but they're telling the manufacturers to just figure it out. They're like, well, this technology doesn't exist, but you're all adults. You'll uh, you'll be able to make it in four years and you'll be able to make it be reliable and good. In four years, uh, you know, and this technology doesn't exist in this form yet, you know, whereas, you know, governments are mandating more electric vehicle support, uh, you know, more charging stations, you know, and they're saying by 2040, we have to have X amount of electric vehicles in the market. And that's fine. That's 20 years. That's building infrastructure and technology. That stuff takes time. But doing this in four years seems a bit unreasonable. And a lot of my opposition to this. Um, is because the, the proponents for this say it should be a passive system, same as a seatbelt, same as an airbag. Uh, but I think that's fundamentally different because what if you are uh, completely abstinent from alcohol? You don't drink alcohol at all. Why should you pay more for a car that has this technology, which is going to cost more because it has to cost more to be able to exist? If you don't drink, like, sure, I see paying more money for more safety in cars, uh, seatbelts, airbags. Even if you think you're not going to need them, you could be the best driver in the world. Something can happen entirely out of your control, and that airbag and that seatbelt's going to save your life. But with this system, all this, I, all I see this doing is inadvertently disabling cars when the system malfunctions, stranding people, who, and also costing more money for people who genuinely might not need it at all like again if you're completely abstinent from alcohol why do you need to pay more for this um and that cost you know cost affects people who can afford it the least the most it affects them the most when they can afford it the least you know warren buffett elon musk you know jeff bezos 
they're not going to care. Whatever. Okay, cars, you know, cars five thousand dollars more. Whatever, big deal. Uh, someone who might be a single parent struggling to make ends meet, but really needs a new car because it's reliable, it's safe for their kids, all of the above. They want that safety of a new car, you know, and they might just barely be able to afford that car. This could put it out of their price range, you know, and this could really affect people who can afford it the least. Uh, also, the engineering behind this is just sketchy, in my opinion. The just figure it out mentality. Um, it's kind of, you know, assuming that this could work. Uh, a lot of people who are saying that this could work are basing this off of the technology used behind General Motors, quote, super cruise technology. Uh, and what that is, that's General Motors version of the Tesla autopilot. Now, the Tesla autopilot needs you to make sure it needs to make sure that you're still paying attention. And it does that with um, like pressure sensors on the steering wheel. Well, General Motors gets around that using like infrared eye tracking and it decides if you're paying attention to the road and then decides whether or not to give you autopilot because it, you know, it wants you to still pay attention while it's driving the car. Um, so they're saying, well, why can't we just do that for drunk driving? Anytime you have to say, why can't you just do blank? The just in there usually means that it's not going to be that easy. Anytime you just say, well, just do that. Well, there's probably a really good reason you can't just do that. Um, and, uh, you know, having something here, too, with face detection, you know, uh, and uh, cameras and eye tracking and all of this stuff. Oh, what if it goes wrong? What if it misinterprets something and then, again, disables the car in a incorrect time? You know, you can't account for all scenarios, especially when they're when it comes to a new technology like this. You, you just can't account for everything uh, that also brings up to the privacy and freedoms concerns you know uh, like who is your car to tell you what to do this is technology saying you know I think you're gonna commit a crime so I am going to you know intervene and stop a crime from being committed even though it hasn't actually been committed yet you know you can't predict things like that and there's moral complications that go with that you know again the car could be stranding some it could strand you right it could say i think you're drunk even if you're not and uh, i'm not going to start now and you might really need it to start it might be an emergency you know so what is you know again anything that's going to disable the vehicle like that i think has problems um and then also what's stopping manufacturers from saying well we can stop you from you know drunk driving and we can you know, prevent crimes in this way. So let's expand this reach and prevent people from hmm, speeding and prevent people from doing this or that or whatever. You know, even like your car could say, you know, oh, you're doing 10 miles an hour over. I'm just going to stop that, you know, because, oh, that's definitely going to kill everyone if you're going 10 miles an hour over. Um, and it could just stop that. So, you know, again, where do you draw the line then? This brings up so many moral questions, in my opinion. Um, and, and, you know, the people who are for this are saying, well, if you're not doing anything bad, why? What's the problem then? It's not going to matter if you're not doing anything bad. Well, that's the same argument. Like, equate this to smartphones, right? Like, what if the, you know, what if there was a mandate that said your smartphones had to track you at all times and use uh, facial recognition technology to tell if you're going to drunk drive a car, right? If you're going to drive a car impaired, you know, people would say, oh, that's a violation of my privacy that it's tracking me and it's reporting me to the cops for doing whatever. And it might be wrong. Same thing applies to cars. Exact same thing. The car is no different. So um, now this does also boil down to uh, whether or not this is necessary, right? Like drunk driving as a whole. And it's a really tricky topic to get in because people are going to say, well, if you disagree with that, you think people should die for drunk driving. No, I don't. No, clearly not. But, um, you know, I think drunk driving, especially here in, in America, is uh, a cultural problem. It's not a problem that can be solved with technology. Uh, and also, what's to say that people aren't going to bypass this system anyway and go, you know, drunk drive, uh, drink, drive, drunk drive, 
There's some grammar there. Um, what's going to say they're not going to go do it anyway, right? Um, and uh, if look at this here, like look at so there's a. Um, uh, a study done by the World Health Organization to figure out the percentage of road accident deaths that involved alcohol. And the United States, 31% of deaths on the road involved alcohol. Um, Germany, on the other hand, which has a very strong drinking culture, you know, beer, German beer, they're known for it, has only a 9% uh, of uh, 9% of road accident deaths involve alcohol. So where's the difference here? Okay, uh, you know, Germany clearly is cutting, you know, uh, issues with drunk driving and they're not mandating that cars have technology to stop it. They're doing it in a different way. And that's cultural. You know, that's their whole cultural view on drinking for one. And that's also their um, their restrictions and uh, the repercussions. If you are busted driving drunk, um, it's a lot worse in Germany than it is here. A DUI here in the States is bad. That's going to ruin your life, uh, you know, for a couple of years. A, a DUI in Germany is even worse. So many hoops to jump through. I've heard of people getting them there, and it's very bad, very bad. But that discourages it even further. So, you know, a similar Western country, you know, Germany versus United States, cultural difference changes the amount of drunk driving. You can't fix culture like that with technology. So they're trying to apply a technological fix to a cultural problem. Um, and I don't think this is the right way to do it. Now, again, drunk driving, it's very bad. It's horrible. Well, again, one of the worst things you can do in a, in a car, in my opinion. It's it's definitely up there at the top. So uh, now it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. If it does stick, how are manufacturers going to do it? From an engineering perspective, it is fascinating how they're going to accomplish this, how they're going to do it. How are they going to do it in such a short time? Is it even going to work? I don't know. I don't, I don't have all the answers here, but at the very least, I can inform you on why your cars are getting more expensive. And I, they are getting expensive now. I mean, not just inflation in the economy. It's not just that. It's not just the chip shortage. It's also new regulations like this that are kind of questionable that make cars more expensive. And if you're a car enthusiast like me, like I don't buy new cars myself. You know, I don't like eating the cost on new cars and I can like older cars better anyway. You know, why does this matter? Well, as these cars get older, the higher cost is still going to float down to other owners, even through the means of depreciation. You know, it's still going to float down to other people. And it's going to be technology as a car enthusiast that you're going to have to put up with braking and being unreliable over time. Um, Again, there's there's got to be a better way to go about this. So there you go. That's that's my two cents on it right there. And uh, of course, if you want to share your thoughts on it, email me Matt at throttlewarrior.com. Also, email those car sounds in. Also, 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 lots of also's. I am going to be starting a Facebook page for the show where you can interact and post your own stuff, your own projects up there, your car sounds, all of the above. It will be really cool. You can also talk about how much you hate me on there. I don't care. All is fair game. Good stuff there. I'll have more details on that coming up by next week's show. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast, subscribe with notifications wherever fine podcasts and, uh, you know, this one are downloaded. And I will see you next time when I RB swap a Mustang to take on the Drift King. See you then.